Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that we could come together today to be able to worship you. And Father, I pray that, I pray that in the next few minutes that, uh, that your word would speak to us. Uh, Father, I pray that your word would speak through me and that I would stay out of the way of your message, Lord. That, uh, pray that I would decrease, that Christ may increase through this. Uh, I pray that people would be encouraged through the word of God, um, through the story of, of David and Goliath, Lord, uh, I pray that you, pray that you just guide me and to say nothing, I say only that which is in line with your word. Uh, and uh, I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Now, have any of you ever smelled a a nice meal from afar? You know. On Thanksgiving, maybe, you walk into the house, maybe you're visiting your grandparents or your aunt and uncle, or maybe it's just at your own house, but, or you could be watching TV and watching, like, the lions playing, and you can, you can smell the food in the kitchen. You can, you can smell it coming. Like, it's a very enjoyable time. You, you have, you're filled with this longing. You, you want something greater than that. Because the smell is never satisfying. As good as it may be, you'll never be satisfied with that. And... An example of that from in my own life has been at times working for Benny Palmer, smelling Stern's chicken across the street. You can smell that cooking all morning long. It starts up there, and we're going to have some of that in a little bit. But you like you smell that starting out, and you're like, "Oh, I really want, I want some chicken this morning." And there's been mornings I've called over there and gotten some, um, but that the smell, as good as it is, is never satisfying. But it is a very pleasant smell. Um, and I think, that, I think that the text we're looking at today in 1 Samuel 17 with the story of David and Goliath is much like that. That we see the story of a redeemer that saves his people, but it isn't the ultimate final redeemer. The people still need to be saved and they still, like even the man who is the savior of the people in this text isn't the final one to win the, the final victory. So we will be looking at 1 Samuel 17 as I said we'll see that it's here that God delivered his people from a great enemy through the one who is the true king and the true savior. Now, uh, the story before us, it's, it's greater than any story that we may have read in high school because we, we read all these different books growing up and you think, wow, there's so many epic stories that I've read. But I think that I think the story of David and Goliath is far greater than those. Uh, and the chances are pretty good that most of you have heard this story, whether you grew up in church or not, you're familiar enough. You've heard of David and Goliath or slaying, of, slaying Goliath. And so often I think that people, people typically, I think, just, they misapply the text or they misapply this story to, well, we all just need to be Davids and we need to go slay all the giants in our lives. But I don't think that that's the point that the, that the writer of 1 Samuel was trying to make when he wrote the book. I think that the intention of the author of 1 Samuel was to, uh, so that the people of Israel might look back in remembrance on the salvation from God. And because to them, David, everyone after David, David was the, the key figure for Israel, that is looking back and remembering, like trying to not forget who he was and what God was doing through him and the promise that there was to David. So to understand the, the context surrounding the passage that we're going to be looking at today, we need to go back a few hundred years to Moses. At this point in history, the, or at that point, like would have been a few hundred years before, uh, the people of Israel were in bondage in, the, in Egypt at that point. And they had been there, and they were, they were slaves to the Egyptians. But God rose up Moses to deliver his people, to bring them out of the land, to bring them out of bondage to, uh, to the Egyptians. And he sent them, he led them with Moses as, their, as the, the leader, but God is the, the real king at that point, the king of Israel, guiding them through the desert into the land. And where we find them today is they're in the land now, but they haven't taken all the land. They still have some of the enemies left. They, didn't, they weren't faithful to what they were called to do to take all of the land. So they're still fighting the Philistines as we move to the text today, people that they didn't completely drive out of land that should have been the Israelites. So, uh, like at this 
at this point in history, or for a while really, the people had been grumbling and they, they wanted to have a king. They said, we want to have a king like the nations. We see all these other nations around us. They have a king. They have a man that they can look to that he is the one to guide us, the one that's going to lead us along. But the Israelites did not have, they did not have that man to look at because they had God. But they weren't satisfied with him. So they had been asking. And finally, God, God finally said, he told Samuel, uh, he told Samuel to anoint Saul as the, the king of Israel. And basically to, to give the people what they want. You know, you want a king, you can have a king. Was God, that was how God treated it. So the problem was that as, we, as you would see in previous chapters in 1 Samuel, Saul almost immediately started seeking his own glory and to build his own kingdom. And he was not a faithful king to God. So the people are left... At this point, they have an unfaithful king and they aren't sure like, what, what to do from there. Um, but, so after Saul had sinned bad enough, God took away, he said that he was going to take away the kingship from the line of Saul. That it wasn't, the future was not going to be with his children. So we just kind of, we see they're in this time of questioning. They aren't sure who, the, like, who is the true leader of Israel at this point. Uh, so at, with that, we're gonna we're gonna read the whole chapter of First Samuel. Uh, first, or whole chapter of First Samuel seventeen, not the whole book. Uh, <laughs> so starting in verse one, we see now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soco, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soco and Azekah and Ephes Demim, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like the weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me." If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of, of an Ephrathite, of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, this man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the, to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. And David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and stood and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token back from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in the charge of the keeper of the baggage, and ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. And he talked with them. Uh, and as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, 
Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him, to, give, to, give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spoke to, them, to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You were not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you were but a youth. And he has been a Philistine, and, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his hand. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give, you, give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword? and with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all the... And all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give, it, give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly to the, toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead. And he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine 
and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their, saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shuram as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back, from chasing, came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down of the Philistine, Abner took, took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Now, I know that that's a, a long text that we just read, but I do believe that if I'm going to be preaching this text... I think it's important to be reading the, entire, the entirety of the text because the most important words that you'll hear all morning are not going to be the things that I've learned from the text necessarily. Like, it's not going to be what's come from me, but it's going to be what God has written down. So that was, that was the reason that I know this is long, but I think it's really important. And I believe that the main thought, the main point that we want to take away from this text is that uh, I think we could say in the sentence that we need to remember that the true king has fought for us and overcome our enemy on our behalf. So he has, he has gone before us and he has won the victory. And I think the four main points of my, the four main points of my text today are going to be focusing on the four, four different characters that we see in the text. That first, we see a great enemy. And then secondly, we see an unfaithful king. And thirdly, we see a faithful savior or thirdly, a faithful Savior. And lastly, we have in this text, a greater God. Now, the narrative begins with the Philistines and the Israelites. Uh, they're gathered together for battle on opposing hillsides from each other with a valley in between them. And the land of the Philistines, where they were, they were in the west side. They're on the west side of Israel, basically between Israel and the Mediterranean Sea in that strip of land in there. And they were, as I had said before, like they were supposed to have been driven out, but they had not been up to this point. And so they had continually just been fighting back and forth over the land. I mean, it'd be like a rivalry, kind of like in this church right now, as we're playing softball, you could say like there's a little bit of a rivalry between blue and gold, possibly. But the difference is that the Philistines and the Israelites were not civil with each other. Like it was constantly battling and fighting with one another. So... As we're, as we're moving into the text, we see that they're near Soka. Uh, that, and that's where, that's where the battle is forming up. So it, as, they're, as they're gathered together there, we see a champion of the Philistines. We see the great giant of Goliath come out. And Goliath is the great enemy. He is the, he's the representative of the Philistines. And we see, in, we see in the text that there's a lot of detail given about the, about the size and the impeccability of, of Goliath. It's, it's showing how impossible, or seemingly impossible it is, it was to defeat him. That everyone was, everyone was afraid of him because of that. This is in the text that he's six cubits in a span, which, depending on the scholars, some would say that it's around, it's over nine foot, but it's around nine foot, six inches possibly. So just a massive guy that we can't even imagine someone being that big. So we, we're told how he's that big, and we, not only is he tall, but he was also, he was outfitted in quite modern armor for the time. That he was wearing a coat of bronze, or he was wearing not, a coat of mail, and, uh, and like a helmet of bronze. And the interesting thing with the helmet of bronze is that this actually... Apparently, it's unusual. it was unusual at the time for the Philistines. That the Philistines were more, they would wear more like headdresses. But he had a, he had a bronze helmet that he, would, that he wore. And his coat of mail, if we were to translate that into 
the weight measurement that we would use today, that his, his coat of mail weighed about 125 pounds. And or interestingly, in one commentary that I was reading, they were saying that the coat of mail, that the word used in Hebrew, could, it's also, it's, it's talking about like scales is how it's described. So some people would say that you could, and like someone who's read and was familiar with Genesis at that point, would see some connection to the idea of scales, that the great enemy, uh, that he, has, he was wearing scales, that he was like the snake whose head would be crushed. So like there's a little bit of a, there's somewhat of a connection there, I think, and just like mentally for some people at that time. Uh, we see that his, his spear had a 15-pound head on it. That he was just, all, everything about him was massive. He was a, a seemingly impossible enemy to defeat. And truly, like, for, on their own, I don't think that any one of them could have defeated David. So once, once Goliath was out in the, once he was out in the valley, he started yelling out to the Israelites. He's calling for someone. Choose a man for yourselves. Send someone out. Like, I want to fight one-on-one, and we're going to fight however this battle goes. That's going to be the outcome for, for the whole of the people. So he's calling for them to choose someone. And he wanted to, he wanted to face a representative, but at this point, who would represent the nation of Israel? Like, who, people are left wondering, who's going who's gonna to go out there? Because we don't see Saul jumping out there to, to fight Goliath. So they're just left with all these all these questions in their mind, I think, at this point. So that leads us to the second, the second character that we see that's an unfaithful king. So all eyes at this point, like, they're all looking to Saul because he's the one who's been expected to be the king, to be the one to go and fight their battles for them. And it's also interesting that Saul, like, the people had already chosen for themselves a person. So I think Goliath was speaking greater than he knew when he was saying, choose a man for yourself, that they already had, and he was basically quoting back to the Israelites what they had already said. But Saul would have been, he would have been the perfect candidate because we're told elsewhere in 1 Samuel that he was head and shoulders taller than all the other Philistines, and he was, everything about him on the outside seemed like Saul would be the perfect person if there was one to go and fight. But he did not. Now, the idea of representation that I've mentioned already, it shouldn't be a new idea to us. The Bible tells us that Adam was the representative for the whole human race when he, um, when he was in the garden. So Adam's sin tainted every person that was to come after him. So he was the one, he was the one for us all. And Goliath, in this story, Goliath is the one who was for all the Philistines. And Israel at this point is looking to see who is our representative to save us. I mean, in today's, an example today, we see that in our government, we're, we're represented by senators and congressmen and mayors, that we have all these different structures in place, people that are representing us in different settings. And uh, we, we've, been like, we've been like the nation of Israel, as, like, as all humans we have been for our whole lives, that we've been in need of a good representative. We've, we've needed a true king that could lead us well. Now, Saul was full of himself, and he, he cared about protecting himself first. So this time, once again, we see that he was afraid, and he failed at doing the task that God had given to do, given him to do. That he, was, he followed right after someone like Adam, really, in that sense. That he refused to go out and fight for the people for 40 days and for 40 nights. Now, in an Israelite mind, that would draw, like, there's some... It would draw to mind back wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. That the people just were disobedient and not doing what they were, they weren't doing what they were called to do. They were not obedient for 40 years wandering in the wilderness. So you see, like, yet again, the people are falling into the same rut of disobedience. So in this text, we see Saul is a type of Adam. That he represents the people of God, but he represents them unfaithfully. Now, we as Christians, we can be like the Israelites in this story. Now, that's not, a, that's not a comment about the relationship between the church and Israel or anything. But I'm simply saying that we need a faithful representative to fight for us, that we are looking for that faithful representative as well. Uh, 
And none of us are any better than Saul. We may think, oh, if I was there, I'd go and fight Goliath. But I don't think that that's the case for any of us. So we all are in need of a, a faithful Savior King to take our place and fight for us. But who will be this, this faithful Savior King that we need? Now, as we look back to the... Uh, we're going to move on to point three here, where we see that the faithful king is David. And we see that first come up in verse 12, where the writer of 1 Samuel, he shifts our eyes away from the scene here in the valley, where they have, they're all drawn out for battle and all of that, that he shifts away to David. He says, uh, yeah, so he shifts away to there, and he, as we saw in chapter 16, Previously, and like, you see that previously in the book, that David had already been anointed by Samuel to become king, but he was patiently waiting for Saul to die. Um, before he, like, he was being patient. He wasn't trying to take something that wasn't his yet. He was willing to wait. Um, but we just we see David. There's like a shift in the in the chapter itself here. Um, but he would David would be the one that would represent all Israel by taking on Goliath. And he was doubted by everyone we see, that his family, people thought that he was just being presumptuous, that, oh, I can, I can do this, or it wasn't his place to even be there. Everyone doubted him. And Saul told him that he was just a youth and he couldn't handle it. That everyone was, everyone was against him. And he was a lowly shepherd. He, he hadn't been old enough to enroll in the army. All these things. And even Goliath, Goliath felt insulted that it was David that, was sent, that, that went out to fight him. Like, of all the people, you think that I'm worthy to fight this, this stick? That was the, like, that's the attitude that Goliath even had. But as David went out to fight Goliath, he was aware of the fact that his fate determined the fate of the whole nation that everyone was completely dependent on how he fared. If he was victorious, then the people would be victorious. But if he failed, the people would fail as well. Now, one could say that though he was not serving as the king at that moment, that he truly was the, he was the representative of the nation of Israel already at that point. Now, farther down in verse 34, we see David pointed to his experience as a shepherd as his credentials for being the one to take on Goliath. At first, it seems as though he's just kind of, he may just be gloating about how, uh, he may just be gloating about his past experiences, you know, oh, I killed a, I killed a, I killed a lion, I killed a bear, I just grabbed it by its mane. And it sounds like he's just bragging about how rough and tough he is. But I think he's doing, he's doing something greater there if we keep reading. We see that the reason that, he, what he's saying is that the reason he was able to overcome those things was not any strength within himself, but that he was preserved by God, that God had kept him. So it was, he was saying that more as a testimony. He's recalling, past, he's recalling past works of God to give him hope for the future. And I think that is more what he's doing. So, and then he says also that, he's basically saying that if, if God has delivered me from these neutral animals, that are, they're morally neutral, they're not against God, they're not for God, they're just neutral. If God delivered me from them, how much more will he deliver me from someone who's, an, who's his enemy that's been blaspheming him? Now, we should see this, uh, we should see here that he is the good shepherd of, he's the good shepherd of Israel, really. That David, he made the people of Israel his flock and Goliath was his was the, the bear or the lion coming at him. So it should be compared in contrast to Saul, who Saul was dismayed by the presence of Goliath, and he failed to provide for his own sheep. And he even, he even tried to, to bribe someone else to be, uh, to be willing to take Goliath on for him so that he wouldn't have to do that which he was tasked to do. Now, can you guys picture what, what a good shepherd would be like is he a man that just stood around in, in solitude, you know, watching sheep? Or was he a man that loved, only his, uh, loved his only companions enough to lay down his life for them? I think that, uh, I think far too often we, we have like this very sterile 
view of what shepherds are, that they're just, like you kind of have the nativity idea of shepherds. We don't really think much beyond that. But shepherding is never presented as being a glamorous job, but it is a necessary job. And David served his father by watching after the flock and defending them in every situation. So he did that first with his father's literal sheep, but he also did it with the Lord's sheep of Israel. Now, in your own life, do you see yourself as the the shepherd of your own life, or are you a sheep? We need to realize that we're not the Savior, and we need to be okay with that. David David was the only shepherd and the representative, but we were not given that responsibility. We can, we can follow his example of laying down his life, though. I think, that, I think that is something we can do. That we can lay down our life to love others. We can follow the example of the shepherd, but realize that we're not the one who's called to save ourselves or to save others. So I think we can ask ourselves, really, like, how, even in the next week, how can I lay my life down as modeled by, by the great shepherd? Like, how, how can I do that for the sake of others? And that may be with our, it may be with our use of our time, with our schedules. Like, how can we, how can we deny ourselves to, to care for others and to lay our lives down for them? Now, when David got to the battlefront, he, he heard the things that were being yelled by Goliath. You know, everyone else had been taking the insults as merely personal insults against themselves. That they're defying us. They're defying the ranks of Israel. Like, why would, they, why would they come mess with us? That's, that was kind of the approach, that, or the way that they were taking these insults. But David heard it, and he heard that it was an insult on the name of God, that it was, a, it was blasphemy against God. So he, he was, uh, when David went out to battle, you could, tell, like, you could tell what I was just saying there from verse 26. He says that, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He saw Goliath as a blasphemer and he was appalled by him. So David, refer- David revered God enough to face a man that appeared to be impeccable simply to vindicate his name, to vindicate the name of God. So while like, we see just the passion that David had for the name of God, for who God was, and when, when David was talking to Saul in, the, in Saul's tent, we see that he uses the covenant name of God, the Lord with all capitals, which is Yahweh. And at that point, he, that was when he was talking about the deliverance from God. So that name is often, the name Yahweh is often attached to the concept of remembering God and remembering his acts. It's, it's remembering his, uh, his hesed from Hebrew that it's talking about his covenant faithfulness that I can, look, I can look back and see because God has made a covenant, he's going to be consistent. If I can see that he's been faithful before, then I can trust that he will be faithful in the future in the same way. And that is what David is doing here. So David was recalling God's faithfulness to protect him at times before to encourage future faith and future hope in the protection of God. Now, David again uses this name for God when he addresses Goliath in the valley. He says that, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Now, while David was professing victory over Goliath, I think, that, I think we can say that he was picturing in his mind past victories of God for the Israelites. I mean, who knows what may have been going through his mind. He could have been thinking of, through the deliverance out of Egypt or the defeating Jericho and just the conquest. So how God provided for them through all of that. Those are the things that, that gave him the strength to drive him to go out into the line of battle. So I think in our own lives, I think we can do that as well. Like how often do we just stop, how often do we stop and meditate on and think back through how has God been faithful to me in the past? And if we start to worry, can we slow down and think about you know, God has, God has provided for me in far worse situations and in far, like, in all these different ways. And I've seen it in other people's lives, too. So if he has done that before, then he will do that again. And I think that, I think we can remind ourselves of that and remind each other of that, too. Now, another point about 
David's speech to Goliath in the valley is that David was professing the preeminence of God above all human strength and weaponry. We see that there. And that really, I think you can see, like the reason that I picked this text today was trying to connect something in the Old Testament to what we've been talking about in Colossians of the preeminence of Christ. We see that, we see here God is, he is so much greater than all human strength. That it doesn't matter how big the enemy appears, God is stronger. That he can defeat, that he can defeat all, uh, all enemies. There is no armor too thick, no person too clever, no person too strong for the judgment of God. And David effectively said to Goliath, Come at me with anything that you, that you would like, but I am not afraid because I have Yahweh on my side to defend me. He has a better track record than you do. Now David was not filled with selfish ambition to, to clear his own name, but rather he was, we would say that he's full of zeal for the name of the Lord and for the glory of the Lord. Now David's zeal for the Lord was, we could say as much like kids, you know, that fight for the, uh, they fight for their dad's name, you know. Someone insults their dad and they got a, they might start throwing a punch or something. That I think that's what this is like. An example of that would be the other day we were eating, we were eating breakfast and I can kind of try and instigate people sometimes in the morning and just get them going. So I called, I called Ken a name and Josiah was sitting at the table. So Josiah got up and he was pretending like he was going to come after me because I called him a name. But that attitude, that heart that Josiah had for, the, for his dad's name and for his, dad, like for his dad's reputation, basically, like that whole idea of what Josiah had within him was what David had for God. So we also see an intimate relationship there as well. If he, he has an intimate relationship with God if he cares that much for his name. And now David's, David's zeal for the Lord could really, we can contrast that with the self-protective behavior of Saul. Saul didn't want to go out into battle because he, he figured he would die. He didn't have faith. And the, so he, uh, he did that while David had, David had no fear because he trusted in the Lord. Uh, he did not fear, so we could say about David that he did not fear those who could kill the body. Uh, he did not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, he, fe- he feared those who can destroy both soul and body in hell. David saw God and was changed by him, while Saul could not see past himself and feared for his own life. Now Saul, may, he may have had the throne at that point, but he really, he was not the true king of Israel at this point. Like, we can see that there. So I ask you now, are you, are you zealous for the Lord? Are you zealous for his name? Would, would you fight against the odds to, to defend him? This week, like, will we be afraid when we, if money gets tight or if we get frustrated or our schedules get too busy, will we be afraid or will we trust in Yahweh, remembering that he is the same one that provided for David over Goliath and delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and gave the land into their hand? Will we recall the past works of God and will we still, will we still be zealous for his name this week? Now, uh, I think I think it would be helpful too. Like I would encourage you guys. Something that I've wanted to do and I've never been faithful at doing is I would love to start journaling or just writing down ways, like doing this more often. Ways that God has provided so that in in the hard times, if we have written down way like prayer requests and then also just praises, the ways that God has been faithful to us. If we write these things down, we can call them to mind when when the days are darker, when it. Like when you can't hardly see the sun, when it's over on those overcast days. Like I think it's helpful. So I would encourage you guys to start to start doing that, and I'm going to try. Now, lastly, we see in the text the greater God. The first man that was titled champion in this text was Goliath, but Goliath, we know he was the strongest of the Philistines, and he was the one to come forward and challenge the Israelites. But he was not the true champion in this text. As we just saw, this, this pride and blasphemy drove David out against him. And in the valley, the champion was defeated by the far greater champion, which was Yahweh, the God of Israel. And 
When David ran out against Goliath, he took his sling and he went down to, he went down to the stream to get five stones. And I think some people make too much of what those stones are, possibly. Like, I'm not, I don't care to try and come up with an analogy of what those five are because I don't think that's all that important. I think the fact that he used stones, the one significance that there, might, that there could be there is that it's, stone was the weapon that's shaped by God, that he's, it's full reliance on God there, that he has, he has created these stones and that is, what, that is the only weapon that David is going to use against Saul, or against, not Saul, <laughs> against Goliath. <clears throat> Now, Saul, so we see there that David, he rejected Saul's self-sufficiency by turning away the armor that he could have used. Uh, And he accepted God's control by using the weapons that were shaped by God. Because God is the one that forms all, he forms all those stones into shape, as I said. Now, David knew that his range was from a distance because Goliath could could not, it was going to have to be from a distance because Goliath um, could not reach him from very far away. So at that, like, at that point, David began running at Goliath and he slung the first stone and it, it sunk into the forehead of Goliath. It, he crushed the head of the one who was wearing the scales. He crushed the head of the enemy. The champion was defeated by, by the faithful savior. Now, in, in verse 50, we see that the author of 1 Samuel made sure to point out that David was the one that was at the disadvantage in this battle. He had no sword. He, he went out of his way to mention that David had no sword. So he had to overcome the odds, but just like when he killed the bear and when he killed the lion, it was only because the Lord had delivered him. He took away all the things that could have brought glory to himself in that. And David, he was much like the, the foot soldier that fights for a cause that is greater than him, but is still need, a needed instrument in the, in the victory. The battle was not David's own, but he still, had to do what, he still had to do what he had to do. Now, the ultimate battle really there was between the generals on either side, but David and Goliath were the representatives. So David went into the field to defend his God from blasphemy, and left the field a champion for God. Now, David's victory was immediate, and it was also decisive. And there was, there was nothing more that was required for him to do to win. He won the victory simply in the one action of, hitting the, of, of killing Goliath by striking him in the forehead. So he went, and he took Goliath's sword after he was dead, and he removed his head, and David took Goliath's head with him as a trophy to Jerusalem, which at this point in time, Jerusalem did not belong to the Israelites yet. It was taken once, it was taken once David was the king. So he took it there, but it was a sign of the faithfulness of God. I mean, it's a gruesome sign for sure, but he, he took that as a sign of remembrance. It's a symbol. It's much like as the people crossed over the Jordan entering the land and they set up stones as a memorial. It was the same kind of idea that they were that it's remembering this is how God has been faithful to us and God will continue to be faithful and provide for his people. So after Goliath's dead, death, death uh, it was the task of the, of the Israelites to run the Philistines out of the land and plunder the camp. Now David won the victory, but the rest of the people were to, were to finish driving the rest. The rest of the people were supposed to drive all the rest of the people back out of the land. And really, uh, it's a lot, what, what they were supposed to do was a lot like our task as believers in Christ now. That Christ has won the victory for us, but there's still, we have to drive out, like we're, today we're having to drive out the sin in our lives. That I think that there's an analogy that we see there of driving out. <clears throat> now the task, but the, at that point though, in the driving out, the battle had already been won. It was just finishing off the, the people. So their task, was, their task truly was completed by David and they were finishing it themselves. Now, after, the running, after running the Philistines out of the land, the scene changed to show that even Saul was acknowledging David as the champion of Israel. 
Saul asked Abner, the commander of the army, whose son David was. Now Saul knew that he owed the champion the reward that he promised of his daughter's hand in marriage and his, his father's house being free from taxes. So Saul knew those things. Uh, and, but, and so he was, he was willing and ready and he, was, he acknowledged that, the champion, that David was a champion because he was willing to give him those things. Now, in, the text, in this text today, who do you see yourself as? I think far too often, like I said at the beginning, we see ourselves as David, that we need to go out and we need to fight that battle and we need to do this on our own. Um, we just need to kill Goliath. Like, that's how we see ourselves a lot. Like, are we the champion in our own lives? Do we envision ourselves as being the champion even? Now, we may, like, we may be able to make it... Uh, you may have been able to make it this far thinking that you could defeat any giant that comes up in your life. But I promise you, there will be giants that come that you cannot defeat. And the greatest giant you may not even be aware of, the giant of your own sin, that you cannot defeat your own sin on your own. You need to be found under the leadership of the true king. And if you were already on his side, did you live in light of this truth this past week? Are you, are you driving out what's left of the sin in your life this week? Or are you trying and doing it in faith, knowing that the victory has already been won? Or are you trying to, to continue to fight on your own? I think we fall into that far too often. We're, we're much like the people of Israel that, I mean, why did they need to be reminded? They needed to be reminded because they forget. And we forget over and over and over. We forget the salvation that we have. We forget the works of God. And I think that is something that just happens every single week. So I think we just want to become more and more consistent in our remembrance. And that's something that we can work on uh, in the future. Now we need to, uh, we need to switch the sides. And we need to switch, like if you haven't, if you haven't gotten under the leadership of the true king, which is Christ in in your life, then you need to switch sides in this battle because you will not, the battle will not be won for you if you're not with Christ. You will be opposing him. Now, if you, uh, like this, this past week, have you tried to just, just think about for yourself again, like have you been attempting to just overcome all the sin in your life on your own? Are you trying to change one behavior for another or are you going at the heart with the knowledge of, with the knowledge of Christ having made us new? So this whole time, really, I've been primarily talking about David as being the true king and I've, I've kind of hinted at Christ being the king as well. But I think the, I just want to make it as clear as I can that David was the, he was a type of Christ coming before Christ that we can see coming in that line, really. That we see that Jesus, as I, like, to fit with what I said about the meal at the beginning today, that Jesus is the substance of the meal of which David was an aroma. That David gave us a greater longing for a greater deliverance that came in a greater king in Christ. And I think that that is, that is something that we need to, to like consider. That if, the, if Christ is the greater deliverer and the, he, if he is the substance of that meal, then how much, how much greater of a story is it that Christ has taken our place and died for us? And he went out and he became, he became both the enemy for us so that he was... He was killed for us, so he was both David and Goliath, really, in that way, because he became the enemy of God as God to kill sin. <clears throat> so King Jesus is the greater David, and he is over a greater kingdom, too. So each of the things that I've said so far that are true about David are true about Christ as well. Now, Jesus came as the representative of his people that he would save, and he is our good shepherd. And Christ is also, the, he's a man that's zealous for the name of the Lord, and he is also our champion. What was true of Jesus would be true of his people too. He died bearing the sin of his people and rose again, thus defeating death. You could say that Goliath resembled sin, and Jesus defeated sin by taking him on. So he is calling each of us now to repent and to align ourselves with him and to be in the kingdom of Christ. 
And, and one, like, but we need to remember that even as David won and the, the, then the people chased the Philistines out of the land, we are also called to respond to the work of Jesus by chasing the sin out of our lives. Like I've already said, that we just, that is our task that we have been given and we need to continue in that. Oh. Like we need to see that God doesn't call us to mess around with sin, that we're called to drive it out and to kill it. So we need to be aggressive in that as well. So if our God is strong enough to defeat the odds and take down Goliath, then he is strong enough to overcome your sin and he's strong enough to overcome you, or to, to overcome you and to save you. He does not save because he thinks people are worthy, but like David, he redeems people for the sake of his own name. Now, brothers and sisters, if you, if you are a believer, your life is a hero story, much like this, much like this story of David and Goliath. It would be a mistake, however, if we were to see ourselves as being the hero of the story. And I think sometimes when we tell stories in our own lives, we may, far too often we make ourselves into the hero of our own stories. All right. We need to realize that our hero is Christ the King and our, our lives are hidden with, with Christ in God. And we ought to make much of our hero. If we, if we talked about Christ half as much as we talk about ourselves, we would be making such a, it would be such a testimony to everyone in our lives. <clears throat> now, he is the one that did all the work of salvation and he is the one that is bringing us safely home. We ought to continually remember our true king that fought for us and overcame our enemies on our behalf. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you, for, uh, thank you for your word and we thank you for your deliverance that you've brought for us in, in, your, in your son, in Christ, Lord. We thank you for all the different... Uh, Deliverance, deliverances in our own lives and in the lives of others that we've witnessed and we've had recorded that are all pointing to the greater deliverance of Christ. Um, and Father, I pray that you would remind us that the battle has been won, that we don't have to feel any more guilt in our own lives um, and that Christ has taken it all for us. And Father, I pray that you would also just give us a passion to kill the sin that we see in our lives and sometimes the sin that we don't even see yet. Um, and Father, I pray that you would help us to honor you and to remember you today as we go to, to eat at the picnic and to fellowship together, that we would share and we would talk about the ways that you have been faithful to us in the last year, Lord. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.